Hi, everybody. My name is Steve Smith. I'm the editor of THC News Magazine, and today I'm talking to Anya Smith. Anya is the managing partner of All Clear Plumbing in Piedmont, South Carolina. Anya, thanks for coming. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, I, I know a little bit about you because you write a column for a, 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 a magazine that I that kind of competes with us. So I won't, <laughs> I won't say the name. Um, and I, I, we also just ran a profile of you in uh, one of our millennial features that uh, Ashley Williams wrote about you. That's in my issue, uh, my current issue as September, I guess. Uh, so people can read a little bit more about you there, too. But you tell us, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more and, and tell us a bit about All Clear Plumbing. Like you said, I'm a managing partner at All Clear Plumbing, which you know how it is with small family businesses. Uh, what does a title even mean, right? Um, <laughs> we started back in 2012. Um, I got into the trade the way a lot of people do. I followed my dad. So my mom and I were both working in in business. My mom was in banking. I I kind of bounced around a little bit trying to trying to find my exact groove as a youngster, but I've kind of matured into a marketing and small business operations specialist. And, you know, he came to us in 2012 uh, after an injury at his previous uh, employer and said, you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm ready to go it on my own and start figuring out what the future looks like, but I need y'all's help. So uh, we all kind of came together and focused on service primarily at the beginning. We still are a a service company first. Uh, so, you know, typical break fix, but we did recently launch a new construction and remodel division. We launched that in April of this year. So you can imagine how well that went, but um, we're, we're slowly crawling our way through it, but we're, we're currently running at 10 crews. Okay. So we're, we're decent size, not too big. You know, my parents have kind of asked that we, we keep it at this size while we work on figuring out their eventual exit. Let's unpack it a little bit more. Cause uh, one thing I find interesting about you is, I mean, obviously there's plenty of family businesses in this industry, of course, sure. but you know, I don't know if I run into too many that are, you know, mom, dad, and you, of course, I know that from talking to you beforehand, everybody's got their own little particular skill set. Obviously your dad's a plumber. Uh, so you couldn't be anywhere without those skills, but you mentioned before your mom was in banking, you were in marketing, and your dad started the business in 2012, but uh, you and your mom were, were kind of in it part-time, at least in the beginning years, yeah? Yeah, so we bootstrapped the business, so of course there just wasn't money or really the demand for three active, super active owners in the beginning. So my mom and I stayed in our corporate careers until... I think respectively, I, I joined the company in uh, full-time in 2015, and I think my mom followed me in 2016. Okay. Um, she was the vice president of operations at a bank. So she, like mm-hmm. I said, she came from a banking background. So she, it was kind of natural for her to be in that finance role. Whereas I came, and she has, it's interesting, she has operational background, which has has helped tremendously with making sure that like our bookkeeping has been really, really strong and documentation has been really strong, uh, CRM, stuff like that. But I have more of a background in small business operations. It, it, it's kind of funny right before, or people find it funny that right, my, my job immediately 
predecessing joining All Clear full time was that I was the CEO of a small tech venture. So um, I really went from this world of like, you know, talking to angel investors and and VC and, you know, trying to scale a product, a tech product to market using like e-commerce, just completely different world. And I, I went from that to you know, joining the plumbing company. So to say that we had different skill sets is, <laughs> is a bit of an understatement. Yeah, but it all kind of gels together uh, in, a, in, a, in an interesting way from what I've read about uh, you and your company. So, yeah, yeah, we've kind of, it's kind of allowed, you know, I think of marketing, finance, and uh, sort of field operations as the three major tenants of running a plumbing company. So it's interesting because we each sort of stand for, for one of those pillars. And, you know, the three of us together just create a really strong foundation. And uh, getting back to your dad a little bit, uh, you mentioned that in 2012, he, he started this company, All Clear. But how long had he been in the trades uh, beforehand, uh, before he started the business, before he started his own? <laughs> yeah, so the family lore is that dad's first job was when he was 10 years old, he started just showing up to construction companies or construction sites and cleaning up until they eventually were willing to pay him for it. I don't know how true that is or not, but um, he, he has been in the trades and in construction from a, (laughs) I would say alarmingly young age. So he's, he's always been in it, but he really started focusing on plumbing specifically I would argue in 1997 when we moved from Tampa to the Greenville area and and he went from being more of like a kind of general maintenance guy to being a specifically going and working for a service plumbing company. And I want to ask you a little bit about the pandemic from I guess March I guess but uh, bring us up to speed again. You you, asked, you you said you work you have a crew of 10 out in the field. Can you tell me right now what your employment is and you mentioned service. So are you all service in terms of residential? Yeah. Do you do some commercial, any construction at all? What, what, how does it break down? So we have 10 crews. Some of those are single man operations and some of those are an apprentice and a plumber. So our actual employment, including the office, um, we ra- round out right about 20 employees total. So the majority of those are obviously in the field. I think we have 16 in the field. So right. the, what that breaks down to is, I would say, at this point, 80% of our business is still service. We're, like I said, pursuing new construction and renovation and sort of upfit opportunities. I One of the guys on my team joined several years ago. His background and strength was really in leading new construction. And so we've sort of put him in charge of leading that division. It just, you know, it's been tough from when we were ready to really hit the ground running. The timing was bad, right? So I literally had like a bunch of meetings lined up to meet with like GCs and home builders and stuff like that to to really start digging in and trying to get those contracts. And like I had the week that everything shut down in our state and everybody kind of went on, on lockdown was literally like the first week that I had meetings scheduled. So I just had, I had like six meetings that just got completely canceled and, you know, we're just now getting, getting back around. So, you know, I'd say, you know, we're definitely not going to meet our goals for that division this, this Mm -hmm. year, but 
What I can happily say is that not only have we kept full employment throughout the pandemic, but we've actually added a position. So, you know, service changed because we were prior to the pandemic, we were about 60, 40 commercial residential service. But of course, with offices and restaurants and all the other public bathrooms shutting down, you know, we know in this industry how it goes. Uh, people aren't using public bathrooms. They can't break public bathrooms. So <laughs> we saw a big, a big dip early April is kind of where it hit us on the lower eastern seaboard. The like the first week of April, we literally had like two or three days where we had no calls because everything just ground to a halt. But then when we started to see it pick back up, it, it was consistent but gradual. We saw it pick back up and we've really just kind of seen that flip. Now, you know, in we're we're speaking in September of 2020, currently our ratio is more 60-40 residential to commercial. Um, because we're still not seeing the big office complexes and high rises and stuff like that are still not fully occupied and restaurants are at minimum capacity, you know, half capacity where in our state. So certainly the demand is not where it was commercially a year ago, but we're just, we've sort of just seen that switch to switch to a residential track because now people are just breaking stuff at home. Let's <laughs> go back to uh, uh, when things kind of came to a halt. You mentioned April was when uh, you know you got no call. So the pandemic hit. I don't know. I guess March uh, is when we all kind of became more, more and more aware of it. A lot of sure. uh, we've been working from home since early, uh, for probably the second week of March. So I know that uh, from talking to you beforehand uh, that you did try to get and, and got a, a PPP loan. Go mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more because I, I know you know from the early days of that. You know, I, I read, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, plenty of horror stories about the process and a lot of people, you know, that I guess really should have gotten one didn't. Uh, so uh, t- tell us uh, again how, how all this came came about. Sure. So I, the office staff, I think, did we started siloing and siloing the field teams and having the office staff work from home. You're right. It was like very it was like late March. Um, but it was really April when it kind of all started to catch up to us. And we were kind of watching the the EIDL and the PPP and going like, ah, do we need this? Like, we're very clearly going to be a necessary business. But as soon as PPP kind of launched, I think we waited. We waited a little bit because we were one of the very last we were very last in that first wave of PPP. I mean, literally, like we got the, the day before they announced that they were, you know, out of money or whatever, like before before they went back and did that second wave is when we got our notification that we had been approved. So like we squeaked into that first round. And honestly, once we made the decision, because we just weren't weren't sure how much we were going to be affected and we wanted to be conscious of the fact that people there were people that had greater need than us mm-hmm. but once once we understood that you know hey we've got you know tens of thousands of dollars sitting out there in accounts receivable and all of these businesses are shutting down for who knows how long and we realized that it wasn't really even about what is demands today 
but what is demand going to be tomorrow and what is our accounts receivable and our cash flow going to look like in the next 90 days that we sort of started to see the writing on the wall that from a cash flow perspective, PPP was going to be critical for us. Luckily, we had a very strong relationship with actually several local banks. I'm really involved in one of the chambers of commerce, actually sit as board chair on one of our chambers of commerce. So I had personal relationships with bankers that were local and regional banks, which helped ensure that we had a very smooth process. So I, I honestly think that in hindsight, everybody or most people understand that that was one of the crucial elements to what your experience looked like. And we found that to be true. Which is to say that uh, local banks uh, obviously knew you, so that that helped immensely. Yeah, they knew us. Um, We also had been working with a very competent CPA who we had a close relationship with. He did monthly summary reporting for us. We actually, we have a CPA who kind of works as a fractional CFO for us. He does strategic reporting for us monthly in addition to just helping us with our taxes. So we had sort of very strong financial records that were well kept. They were you know, neat, clean, and pristine. So it was very easy to submit the paperwork that needed to be submitted. And then we had had the luxury of working with a regional bank that we had like a person who, I mean, shout out to Brandon, who (laughs) I won't say what bank he was with specifically because it probably won't even be useful for most of the listeners, but shout out to Brandon because I mean, I was getting calls from this guy on Sunday mornings and at nine o'clock at night to like update us on on our, on our application. I mean, he, to say he was working day and night, seven days a week is not an exaggeration mm-hmm. to make sure that like he personally was overseeing our case to make sure that it got through and we got the funding that we deserved. So okay. that was crucial. Good. Well, everybody needs, everybody needs their Brendan's, I guess. <laughs> and the fact that your mom came from a banking background couldn't have hurt either, I guess, huh? Yeah, exactly. I mean, she oversees our accounting, you know, our, you know, she makes, she makes sure we call her the, the box checker. She makes sure that all the I's are, I's are dotted and T's are crossed when it comes to payroll and taxes and, and things like that. So as a leader, I feel very lucky to have her because I don't have to count on anyone outside of the company kind of managing the financial end of things and i know like i just don't even have to worry about it because i know that that trina's on it and that's a beautiful thing to have in a partner (laughs) now the ppp loans um from what i've read and understand largely they were uh, designed to get people back on the payroll now now tell me when everything caught up with you in april did you have to lay off staff or uh, we didn't we never laid off. Yeah, we never laid off any staff. We had two employees, uh, actually three employees, excuse me, who needed to take time because of, I think one of them was child, primarily childcare issues, um, which was one of the like excusable reasons to go on uh, sort of furlough or take unemployment in our state. So okay. we had three employees who t- had a few weeks of taking unemployment, 
We okay. were able to bring them back after I think the longest anybody took was four weeks, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And they came back when we asked and we didn't have any of the issues that people hear about with, you know, oh, I'm making more on unemployment. Yeah. I don't want to come back. We didn't have any issues with that, which I just chalk up to the fact that I have an incredible team. And what we did, we didn't have full demand during that time. So to keep people fully employed and make sure that they were getting the hours that they needed and we were spending that PPP money well, we actually gave them, we gave them training time, paid training time. We gave them, you know, we did a lot of like shop cleanup and truck cleanup and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we just tried to use that time wisely and make sure that that money was flowing through to the employees as it should um, to try to reduce their stress during an already stressful time. Absolutely. Now, um, I know that, uh, again, from talking to you beforehand, another kind of stressor for you guys was, you know, to find uh, personal protective equipment. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that. What was going on? Yeah. So if PPP was a, was a godsend, then PPE was a bit of a nightmare, at least for Uh our, uh, (laughs) at least for our, um, our inventory manager who, who is in charge of that. And and I was helping during that time too. Yeah. I mean, so it started with, you know, of course, nobody could find disinfectants and no one could find hand sanitizer at first. That was a huge issue. Um, Masks became an issue very early on. And then as that supply chain started to kind of get corrected. Then we started with gloves, which gloves are still a bit of an issue. So, you know, it's, uh, we've kind of just been doing everything we can to make sure that we have the stuff in stock to keep our employees safe and to make sure that our customers feel confident with us coming in their homes. You know, we didn't have a big stockpile of this stuff. We always just, we always keep our inventory as lean as possible for financial reasons, but that definitely has become an issue. And, you know, we, we saw some parts issues and stuff too, but PPE by far was the most, most stressful piece of it. Two things that helped during that time was one, I did have or do have an inventory manager who whose sole job is, you know, sourcing and well, managing the inventory. So, you know, I was able to have the luxury of having someone that, you know, was very diligently working on that and giving it their, their complete attention during that time. We also, again, going back to being plugged into the community and having a strong network, I found really helpful too. you know, what I, what I did as a leader was, to advocate with my voice in the groups that I could saying like, Hey, we're a different kind of frontline worker and we have got to have access to this stuff. You know, I always made sure to preface with like, I don't begrudge the fact that the hospitals need it just as much as we do, but we, we also are, you know, we're very important to making sure that, you know, especially because, you know, there was the whole thing of like, not people not knowing how active COVID was in the sewer system and things like that. I'm like, you know, I can't one, I can't have sewage back in, but the customer's houses, but I certainly, you don't want it running down the street either. Like, you know, like you've got to let us do our job. And if we can't protect ourselves from this virus, when we're out doing our jobs, like, 
So I was very, very vocal in the groups that, um, so in the chambers, I sit on a, at the state chamber level, I sit on a small business advocacy committee. So, you know, every time I had the uh, opportunity to get on a call with a lawmaker or anyone that was, you know, related to COVID response, I, you know, put my hand up and, and spoke up about, about the need and it ended up paying off. I'm not going to give myself credit for this, but, you know, the industry speaking up ended up paying off a bit in my state because what ended up happening is that the manufacturing sector, which is strong in South Carolina, came together and they actually created a list of access at the manufacturing level and connected individual buyers directly to manufacturers that were creating and they kind of kept a running list and and that helped us create some new connections during this time. We always we always snuck by. We never completely ran out of stuff, but it was always a stress point. And what about now? I mean, I, I'm talking to you now. It's what September 9th, Wednesday. Uh, I mean, are, are things better for PPE supplies? They're better. I think the issue at this stage is pricing. Just you know, because some demand is so up, pricing yeah. is also up. So, you know, we've we've done a little bit to try to adjust to that. Where there's some grants that are available in our area that are trying to help offset the cost of that with some CARES Act funding. You know, if people haven't checked into how their state or county governments have been are dealing with CARES Act funds, then I encourage them to do so because the way that's played out in our area is that you can get reimbursement for expenses directly related to COVID, right? So I can get a, like, we're eligible for like a $10,000 grant that'll cover like things like PPE costs um, okay. over the past eight months, right? So we're in the process of applying for that to help offset that cost. But yeah, that's the biggest thing is like, you know, I think our last time I talked to my inventory manager about it, at least like the price of a box of gloves has doubled mm. um, what we were paying, you know, 10 months ago or a year ago. So okay. they had been going kind of increasingly up for a while, but right, right now that's, that's the thing we're seeing the most is just our PPE equipment prices are way higher. Are they flattened out at least a little bit? Yeah, I think they're not necessarily going up anymore, but we aren't seeing them decline yet either. So we're just kind of holding our breath on that. And then, you know, we're getting notices. I think in the last two to three weeks, we've twice, we've had our supply house come to us and tell us that like pipe prices were, were going up. The price of PEXs is skyrocketing right now because of, again, it's some long supply chain, you know, long tail supply chain issue, but it's affecting us. So we're, we're trying to respond accordingly and making sure that our prices are where they need to be to protect our profit margins. But it's just, you know, all of it is just a lot of added administrative burden and, you know, if we didn't have such a strong team on the office side who was helping manage this stuff day to day and we didn't have the resources that we have being connected with the community, you know, we'd really, we'd be struggling even more than we are. So I consider us very blessed. Well, good luck with everything on the, on the PPE. 
Well, you, you've you've conquered the PPP front, uh, and good luck continuing with the PPE front. Yeah. <laughs> uh, switch gears a little bit because I, I know. Uh, perhaps I saw this on your website, but I know that USA Today read a nice little profile in your company that I read as well. But I, uh, one thing I did read that was fun to find out was that you're running your plumbing company in a way that customers' grandfathers would recognize it. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about that philosophy? Sure. So a lot of that just speaks to our family atmosphere. I mean, we're literally run by a family. Um, not only do both my parents work with me, but my wife also works with me. Um, throughout the history of our company, we've had, it's been very common for us to have father and son teams. And um, we've got another husband and wife team. So, you know, that comes with its complications at times, but we, we definitely walk the walk of leading with a family atmosphere. But from a marketing standpoint, what we really mean by that statement is, so our company was kind of built as a reaction to the culture of service companies in our area. And what I mean by that is we are very heavily led by a lot of franchises in this area. They carry a a large part of the market share and they are what I would say sales first organizations. And we really wanted to build a culture that was sort of craftsmanship first, trade first. Mm -hmm. So we work on building relationships with our customers. We want them to consider us their plumber, you know, which we've done a great job of because we've got an, an incredible retention rate. I mean, across the history of our you know, our current run rate for returning customers, I mean, almost 60% of our business day-to-day comes from existing customers. So we do a good job of retaining customers as well as continuing to build new customers. And I think a lot of that does go back to the fact that both internally and externally, we lead with a culture of like, we're here to help you take care of your home. We want to do a good job. You know, we know that this is important to you. So it's important to us. And it's just, it's just about being solution focused and customer focused and not, you know, not worrying about, you know, we worry about the numbers, but we don't focus on the sales numbers when we're in front of the customer. We're not commission-based. We're one of the only shops in the area that's our, that pays by the hour. You know, that's not for everybody, but it has helped us attract a team of individuals who, you know, care deeply about the quality of the work that they're doing and taking care of the customer and having a team cooperative based atmosphere that is just really um, can be tough to find in a lot of shops these days. Now, related to that uh, mm-hmm. philosophy, I guess, is uh, this interesting take that you have on the notion of flat rate. Again, <laughs> new there, a lot of people do flat rates, of course. Correct. But your experience is kind of interesting in that you, I think you did start out with an off-the-shelf product, but then you decided that you were going to kind of do it yourself and build your own flat rate program, which, you know, it's <laughs> it can't be easy. So let's unpack that and tell me a little bit more about how, how this all came to be. Sure. I, I call myself the Goldilocks of, of flat rate pricing because, well, one, I was 
we as a company were very resistant to flat rate because it goes back to that like old school way of doing things. We're like, eh, time and materials. But what we realized from a customer service perspective and trying to put the customer first is that time and materials actually made the customer very uneasy. And that was ultimately the thing that made us look at or accept the idea of flat rate. What we didn't like about it and what we struggled with in finding a and trying to provide find a provider was that we we are big believers in like having good documentation, having an invoice be understandable and readable to the customer so they know what you did. Educating the customer is huge for us. So we didn't like it's it all of the price books that we looked at either overgeneralized or they were specific, but the specifics would be wrong, right? So the first price book, and I won't name any names, but the first price book that we went with, we went on the side of specific, meaning that for each job, it was very specifically labeled and it had, it even had parts attached to it. But this price book was developed in a different part of the country than we live in. And I think it's easy to forget sometimes how much variety exists in in the industry from region to region. And so what we found was that we were having to edit that price book so heavily to make it be anywhere near accurate that it was creating more problems than it was solving because it was just, there was a mess. It became, the more we edited it, the more it became unclear of like, wait, is this their data or our data? Like, is this priceless right? Or is it wrong? Have we edited this part? Have we not edited this part? And, you know, we'd have customers calling us being like, it says here that you used a XYZ on my, you know, on my thing, but I don't see an XYZ on it. Like, why did you charge me for a part that you didn't use. And we'd have to try to explain to them, well, we didn't charge you for that part. It's just included in the list. The list is wrong. And, you know, that wasn't doing anything to improve customer confidence, right? The whole point of this was trying to improve the customer experience. Antagonizing the customer. Yes, yes, exactly. So we knew we wanted to be able to do inventory management. That was very important to us. And we knew we wanted detailed invoicing, partly because as we discussed earlier, 60% of our customer base is commercial. That is a more sophisticated client. And they do a lot of times want the breakdown of materials on their invoices. So we looked at several other options and which is funny. We only, we only bought the one other. We did a ton of demos. And then we had a couple of employees that had price books from previous positions, which brings me to another point of what I struggle with, with the concept of buying or, or worse leasing. Um, because a lot of these programs now use the software as a service model and you're not, you don't own your price book, right? You're paying a monthly fee to lease it essentially. Um, you know, I just looked at, I, it just feels like our, our price book and the way we do things and the way we price things like that, that seems 
like very proprietary information to me. And the idea that like it horrified me that these clubbers like had price books from their previous jobs because I was like, oh my gosh, what a nightmare for this to happen. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in this position, but nor do I want to be in the position of using the exact same price book as my competitor because we're both leasing the same program, right? So all of that in my Goldilocks brain that just is maybe it's a tiny bit on the controlling side just came up with the like, I I think we've got to build our own. Yes. Okay. So now we could probably talk the rest of the day on that. Yeah, <laughs> it was very hard. Uh, where where do you even begin to build? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we started with looking at all those other price books, right? We talked about with the existing price book that we were using, like what did our employees like and not like about it. We got a lot of feedback from the team. Um, we looked at how different price books organized information, how they outlined information, what what they included in descriptions, what they didn't. We spent a lot of time sort of studying the options. We set out and then I put my inventory manager, I, I we hired her a temporary assistant, someone who would eventually become an apprentice. We gave her an assistant for three months and said, okay, this person's going to take care of some of the t- your day-to-day tasks. We want you to focus on getting this price book done. We gave her three months. It took nine months to launch. So, I mean, it, and it was very frustrating nine yeah. months for her. She said she was like, you know, she would go down rabbit holes that would last weeks. Yeah. Um, just trying to get this stuff done. Now, I mean, we've got a beautiful price book now. I mean, she did a really good job. <laughs> um, but it is an arduous task. And, you know, I don't know what the solution out there is for everybody. I think it's a very personal decision, depending on how you view your price book and what you want out of it. Um, But while I think, while I would say in hindsight that it was, it was the right decision for us, I had no idea when we took that project on what we were taking on. Oh, it would be, uh, well, I mean, do you recommend uh, this to other, other plumbing contractors or what would you say to them? I think that if I could go back and talk to me, you know, a year and a half ago, two years at this point is when I probably would have needed to, when I was kind of in crisis mode on this, I, I would try to reframe the questions uh, with myself and ask and try, try to dig a little bit deeper on what was truly important. And if there was another way to solve that problem, you know, I, it's hard now for me to say if I would have still ended up at the same solution but if i was talking to another plumber who was asking me like should i do this i i would dig into those like why do you think this is a good idea and i would really push them on is there another way to solve that problem because i think that sometimes i at least and in business we get very myopic about what we think the problem is and it leads us down a very specific path of a solution but i think that there there could have been a different way of skinning that cat, obviously, because plumbing companies all over the world <laughs> operate without creating their own price book. So um, it it was interesting, and it you know, like I said, it, it was fine for us. I stand I stand by the decision, but I think that it definitely could have been done a different different way. All right, well, fair enough. All right, I, got- <laughs> I know it's not a very satisfying answer. 
I got one last question for you. And again, it's a, uh, something that uh, I think is fairly common, uh, but you have your own little interesting take on it. And that is uh, that you, I mean, obviously everybody knows that's listening to this, how hard it is to find plumbers to hire. Mm-hmm. And you decided to develop your own apprentice program. Now, again, I mean, you know, I've written a lot of stories about plumbing companies that, that do run their own program. I mean, the last one I did that comes immediately to mind. I mean, some of these are veritable schools. But getting back to you, I mean, uh, interesting about you is that, again, very early on, uh, you know, it was just kind of you, your mom, your dad, and and one apprentice in the program. So how, how, did, how did that come to be? Another seemingly impossible task. Yeah, yeah. well, I had some shortcuts on that one. It, that one wasn't as bad as it probably seems because saying from scratch is probably giving me a little bit a little bit of credit. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of explain to you the opportunities that I had here in South Carolina. So we, I did recognize that one of the first things that when when I came on full time, I think we were at three employees at the time, three three trucks at the time. And one of the first things I was given was like, we need, we need to hire more plumbers. And so that kind of became my number one mission is like how to find, how to find good plumbers. And I did make some great early hires because most of them are still with us. But I also realized how rare that was and how hard those people were to find. And more than anything, like how hard it was to find people that, we're not just good plumbers, but also we're going to be culturally aligned with us, which we recognized early on was going to be an important part of our company. So I, I, I wish I could remember how I found out about apprenticeships and, and this opportunity we have in South Carolina called Apprenticeship Carolina. But I, I, either way, I, I figured that out. And an apprenticeship Carolina was really crucial in a company of our size, being able to implement a training program as rigorous as an apprenticeship program in our company. I knew we wanted something with structure because what do we know about training people? Like we're just this tiny, small company and, you know, we wanted to create good plumbers. We knew we, did, we, knew we didn't want to just do like you know, here's a couple of weeks of ride-alongs and like now go run your own truck, which mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> happens a lot, actually, in our area. Um, so Apprenticeship Carolina, the best way I know to describe it is is a, it's like a non-governmental organization who exists solely to help companies implement apprenticeship programs. So they, they handle a lot of the paperwork for okay. you. So we do have a Department of Labor certified apprenticeship program in-house um, here at All Clear. Our fourth employee was an apprentice. Yeah. Um, and since then, we've graduated three and we have three more in the program. Um, because we're a service plumbing company, we can only have as many apprentices as we have spare seats in mm-hmm. the truck. Because obviously, a huge part of the program is I'm getting the day-to-day hands-on training. So Apprenticeship Carolina helped us with the paperwork, and then also pointed us in the direction of the PHCC online programming, which was already approved as a Department of Labor supplier for the classroom instruction. Yeah, the textbooks and the formal 
instruction, I guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And that that was huge because it's a self-paced online program, which is ideal because, you know, they do that on their own time. We don't have to worry about getting them out at a certain time to get to class. We don't have to worry about like, oh, are they a good classroom learner? Like, is this even going to work for them? You know, they get the hands on day to day at work and, you know, they, they do the online classroom on their own time and, you know, takes three to five years, depending on how they pace through the program. We don't push them to finish the classroom stuff. We want to make sure that they're qualified and ready. The earliest we've put someone into a truck is like second year. We'll put someone into a truck to kind of give them softball jobs. Typically at that point, they're doing like drain cleaning, maybe some backflow testing, like, you know, low hanging fruit type stuff. But, you know, for the most part, our goal is to graduate, you know, qualified plumbers. And the three plumbers that I recently graduated from the program are all going on to get their journeymen's, which is really not at all required in South Carolina. It doesn't, it's kind of a, just a nice to have certification, but we, we have instilled internally the importance of certifications and education to, to keep the quality up. Okay. Okay. So just to kind of summarize a little bit, the apprenticeship, <laughs> Carolina, that's kind of like uh, your administrator of sorts, I guess, huh? They take care of all the paperwork that needs to go into being recognized, I guess, as running an authorized apprentice program, right? Yeah, they did the initial paperwork. Yeah, yeah. we don't have like any ongoing, like now we're just administered by the Department of Labor. And that's really, the administrative burden is fairly low. You know, I've still, I have a website that I have to log in and update data on a couple of times a year. Every once in a while, they send someone to audit our program and just make sure that we're doing what we need to do. But it's not nearly as scary or onerous as people probably would think that it is. Yeah. Um, and there are other state groups like this that I'm, I'm not really, uh, I, I should look into this more. It could be a good story. But um, you know, I, I, I talked to you, I wasn't really, you know, I never really heard of Apprenticeship Carolina and our I've never heard of Apprenticeship Illinois, for the, for that matter. I'm, I'm right. Sure. And then again, uh, I just want to make sure we plug and understand the uh, online program because that came from the National Association of uh, Plumbing Eating Cooling Contractors. So that's a you know it's a great uh, people use that. So that's that's kind of the guts of the program. It's the textbooks, the classroom instruction, more or less. Although again, this is in a classroom. You're not you're not having guys sitting up. They're not sitting at a desk. Well, well, I guess they are, but they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're doing it at home. Yeah, they're typically doing it at home. We do ask that the apprentices finish their schoolwork on their own time. That's kind of their skin in the game. Um, a lot of apprenticeship programs will require fees from the apprentice or they'll have to buy their own books or pay for their own classroom education. Um, we include that as a benefit of being accepted into the program. And, you know, so far it hasn't. Uh, had any negative repercussions. It is a lot of, it is a big investment and a lot of trust that we're putting into these individuals, but we hire carefully. And I'll tell you the quality of individual that we've been able to hire and train for a program like this versus what I expect I would get if I just, you know, hired a $12 an hour helper without sort of a clear career path. You know, I've got several people that are Second career, I've got several veterans in the program, you know, some people that are just kind of trying to find their path in life. There's a couple of people that are, I actually have 
one of the guys that just graduated is a fourth generation plumber. So, you know, they're, they're from all walks of life. They range in ages hugely from their early twenties to, uh, to their forties, but they're, they're all really eager to learn the trade. They're intellectually interested in it. They're great. They're great guys. And, you know, it's really benefited the company, you know, since we made that first apprentice hire, we've grown up to the 10 crews and today I've got one, four, four, I think of my 10 trucks are people that have gone through the apprenticeship program. So my three graduates, and then I've got one advanced apprentice that that's gotten into a truck. So it's working out super great for us. Okay. Well, Anya, on that note, it's a good good way to, to to end things here. We've been talking for I don't know about fifty minutes or so. <laughs> good time. I'm glad that you could uh, join us today. I know you're very busy uh, from that schedule that you sent me uh, last week. We tried to do this, and uh, <laughs> I think yesterday we tried. To do that. I, I didn't. I wasn't on the end of the line. So <laughs> <laughs> organized it today. Well, again, thanks for, thanks for coming on, and good luck to every everybody at All Clear. And uh, again, thank you for your time, Anya. Thank you so much for having me. All right, bye bye. Bye.